Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Doula's Podcast, a show dedicated to all things birthy. My name is Emily. My co-host Lindsay and I are birth doulas in West Michigan. If you're a doula, if you're pregnant, or if, like us, you're obsessed with all things birth, you're in the right place. Join us for birth stories, expert interviews, and doula discussions on all the important topics. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Emily. How are you? Doing pretty good now that I have a new desk. Oh, yeah. You drove out to Portage last night, didn't you? I sure did. Cost Plus World Market. I thought they had two in Grand Rapids. They did not. <laughs> okay. They were wrong. The desk is a lie. <laughs> they were lying about the Sloan desk. <laughs> but now I have it and I'm happy. Good. I'm happy I drove two hours last night to get a desk. I am still sitting here in the corner of my bedroom using a hamper. I'm as a we have never works. Yeah. So today we have another Emily on the show, and she is here to tell her birth story. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Hi, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi, how are you? We're good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for offering to share your birth story. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family, and then you can go into your birth story. Of course. Um, I'm Emily. I am 25 years old. I have a almost two-year-old daughter. She will be two in March. Um, my husband and I moved up here about two years ago from Tennessee. I'm from Michigan, but we moved up here um, a couple years ago for a new job for him. Um, so since then, I have been staying home with our daughter, which has been equal parts amazing and stressful. <laughs> um, but yeah, we don't... Um, being a stay-at-home mom, I don't do much outside of being a stay-at-home mom, especially with all things COVID happening. So we do a lot of hanging out at home. <laughs> um, there's not much else exciting to us. All right. Well, if you want to go ahead and tell us about your birth, you can start wherever you want with your pregnancy, with wherever you feel like you want to start your story, you can go right ahead. Okay. Awesome. And this is something like I just have to say, it's amazing you guys are doing something like this because I do think it's so important that other women hear other experiences other than the, it was absolutely perfect or it was the worst thing I've ever experienced. Like hearing all of the intimate details that get glossed over, like birth is such an experience no matter how it goes. And it's just so important. Okay. So my pregnancy was fine. Everything, went, it was a very smooth pregnancy, but I am a very miserable pregnant person. I did not handle it well. I was very, very grumpy the whole pregnancy. Some people just like radiate all things pregnancy and have that glow about them. I was miserable for nine months and I was just miserable to be around. Um, so I was very excited as it got closer to her birth. I was ready to meet her. I was ready to be done being pregnant. Um, I had my whole little birth plan lined out, my booklet ready to go, everything in place at about 38 weeks. My doctor said that she was measuring a little bit big, like 10 pounds. I was like, okay, Ooh. I'm going to have a big baby. Her dad's over six foot tall. It makes sense. Yeah. I didn't think anything of it until the next week. He told me, um, by the way, we're going to induce you on your due date because she just is a little bit too big. And at that point, first time mom, I didn't know that I had a say in that. It's like, sure. okay, that's what we're doing. We're going to have a baby next week. All right, cool. So 
her due date comes or the night before, get to the hospital. Um, they do the cervix softening, whatever that pill thing is. They start with that at night. Everything's going good. Hourly on the dot cervical checks, which were absolutely miserable, was not expecting that. So that went all night. So by morning time, I hadn't slept. I was exhausted already and it hadn't even really, really started yet. And they tell you when you get induced, you can't eat once you get there. So make sure you eat a big meal before you go. My nerves were so shot. I couldn't eat before I went. Um, so you're in there, you're not eating. So they did the cervix softening. It was going great at, by about 8am the next morning, things are really starting to progress. I was on like number three of four of the rounds of that gel or whatever it is. Um, and my water finally broke by itself at 10 a.m. And I was so excited. Things were progressing. Like things were looking good. I think I was at about a four at that point. And then they come in with, they're going to start the, um, the Pitocin. They're going to start that. And I was like, well, I mean, everything's kind of progressing on its own. Do we need to do that? Like, yeah, um, we just need to make sure things keep progressing. So we're going to start you on that. When they started that is when my contractions got like, super intense, but not very productive. They just got very painful very quickly. And so I thought that was progress. A couple hours go by and they're still doing hourly checks. And I got in the next two hours, I think I was up to like a four and a half. So I wasn't progressing that quickly, but it had only been two hours since my water broke. Then they start to, and up to this point, I was trying to do things with no drugs because that was part of my birth plan. I didn't want anything. Um, being induced was enough for me. And so at that point, like, hey, you're not progressing like we'd like you to, but you're also very tense. Um, you're not quite calming down enough to really like work through your contractions. You're just tensing up. I really think you need to get some type of an epidural or some type of pain management to calm you down. And I didn't want that, but they threw in that the started talking about a C-section if I didn't. So yeah. I was like, okay, well, I mean, a C-section is something I've told my doctor from like day one is the only thing I'm trying to avoid. There's no metal for doing it without drugs. So fine, let's do an epidural. Hopefully it'll calm me down. It did instantly. I took a nap. Things were going great. I fell asleep for probably a good hour and a half. And then I woke up when they went to do the cervical check and I was up to like a five. So I hadn't really progressed over the next couple hours. So I wake up to them doing the cervical check and the first thing they tell me is, so you're at a five and the doctor will be here in a few minutes and he's going to talk to you. I think we're going to do a C-section. That was the first mention was them telling me this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a C-section. And so instantly I go into panic mode because no, that's not what I want. Um, But when they're telling you, no, this is what we're going to do. So I was like, I'd really, I'd really rather not, you know, I think I, I feel like I'm progressing good. Like, can't we just wait? It's like, well, you can make that decision, but the doctor's still going to come in here and talk to you. It's like, okay, fine. Mind you, I hadn't seen my doctor once in my entire labor so far. He had not been in once. And he comes in and sits down and says, okay, we're going to do a C-section now. You're not progressing fast enough. This is what we have to do. I was like, well, I'd really rather wait. Like, can't we just wait a little bit longer? It's only been so long. I feel like we haven't even given me a shot yet. And then when he throws out, you can do what you want, but you're putting your baby at risk. You're going to risk your child's life. Her heart rate's dropping, which yes, it was dropping a little bit, but not enough. Like no one was worried. 
And so he said, you're risking your child's life. You can wait, or you can just go ahead and do this, or we can do an emergency C-section in a few hours. And so my entire birth plan at that point was just thrown out the window. I was in panic mode. My husband was trying to calm me down, but he was in panic mode because we all knew this isn't what I wanted. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. So they get me back in there to do the C-section. And he essentially like scratches my stomach with his fingernail and asks me if I can feel that. I was like, no, I have an epidural. Of course I can't feel it. It's like, okay. And then they start the procedure. And this is when it got super scary for me because all of a sudden it was this most intense pain I've ever felt all of a sudden, like worse than the contractions I was just going through. Abdominal pain, like from the operation? It was some type of burning exactly where he was cutting, but it was burning some type of burning. And I couldn't pinpoint where it was or what it was, but I was looking at my husband and I was like, something's not right. Like it hurts. It shouldn't hurt. It hurts. And I just kept saying that. And like the point where he looked over at me and I had tears going down my face, like gripping the side of the little chair I was in. And that's when he like steps over the little partition they had up. He's like, Hey, something's wrong. Like you need to fix this. And that's when the anesthesiologist came over and knocked me out completely which I obviously don't remember that. So he did that. I came to, to my baby being laid on my chest for all of like four seconds and then taken away. So I wasn't even coherent enough to like see them give her to me. They take her away. I tell my husband to go with her. Like I didn't want her to be alone. And then, so they take her away. I'm still laying there while they finish sewing me up and everything. They get done with that and wheel me back in. It's been like an hour since She's been out of me and I still haven't seen her. I get back in the room after no food, no water for 24 hours. They give me like four pain pills, which instantly make me throw them up everywhere. So I'm throwing up on myself, throwing up next to my husband. Like, obviously I can't hold my baby at this point. I'm shaking. I can't do anything. So finally, I think it was like three hours from start to finish after I finally had her, that I had her in my arms. Like I never had that skin to skin moment or like, I wasn't even the first one to really hold my baby. (laughs) And it was, it was something that should have been so magical and so exciting and so empowering. And it was just, yes, I got a beautiful baby and I wouldn't change that for the world, but everything about the way that it happened was so wrong. And that's why I feel so strongly about like women speaking up about stuff like that, because if I would have known half the things that I know now, like none of that would have been okay. Yeah. Yeah. How much and did she end up weighing? Eight pounds. Oh my. <laughs> eight pounds, one ounce. Oh she was a tiny goodness. little thing. Uh, yeah. Just a tiny little thing that could have fit perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it just, and you go in thinking you've got this plan, but like as a first time mom, you don't really know how much of a voice you do have or should have. And so they just tell you, this is what we're doing and you just accept it. And I just, I feel very strongly now. So I, we haven't talked about having another child, but if we did, I pretty much told my husband I'm laboring outside of the hospital until she's like crowning and then we'll go in. Like I'm not going in a second sooner. Yeah, it was just a very, it sounds silly to say traumatic, but something like that is super traumatic, especially like as your first experience having a child 
That is not silly at all. That is trauma for sure. It is. Mm. It's just, so I definitely going around the second time, I would absolutely have a support person that could, if I couldn't speak up, that could, because my husband, bless his heart, he tried, but he doesn't really know what to say in those situations. So (sighs) it's so So, hard. It's so hard to know what to say when you're being told your baby could die. Yeah. Yeah. You just want to do what's best for your child. Like let's get out of here alive. Yes, exactly. And, and I just feel like you shouldn't be put in that situation. Like, so to know your things before you go in and know as much as you can and know what you're like, you have so many rights and they can't just tell you what they're going to do. Right. Like you, you have a voice. And I really think that it's good to know that before you go in. Yeah, absolutely. That you have a voice and you shouldn't be embarrassed or afraid to use it. And so many people are, I was, um, mm-hmm. I was nervous to question my OB or, um, the nurses and those Pitocin contractions are. It was something else. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) And and I just think the amount of like cervical checks and stuff that are, that were done, at least for me is so discouraging because every time they'd say, Nope, you're not progressed any further. Like it's just that much more defeated. You feel Mm -hmm. right. It's like, okay, I guess I, I don't know what I'm doing. I guess my body isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And you have a white coat on. So, so I'm going to listen to you. And yeah. so, yeah, it hindsight is 2020, but if yeah. I ever had another child, I would definitely, definitely be a little bit stronger in my voice. Yeah, absolutely. How did um, the rest of your hospital stay go? Um, it was rough. I had a very painful recovery. A lot of like blisters and stuff formed from swelling and just so much fluid intake. So it was very painful. I had to stay in the hospital about three days, but I mean, I think that's pretty standard with a C-section. Very much, you're fine. Women do this every day. Like, I don't know why you're complaining attitude from most of the nurses. Um, But in the end, I had a very healthy, happy, beautiful little girl I wouldn't change her for the world, but I would definitely change how she came into the world. Yeah. When we were there, we didn't, we had a lactation consultant. She came in one time, looked at me, said I was fine. And then left. The next one just told me that my nipples were too big and I wasn't going to be able to do it. (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) So I exclusively pumped for about six weeks and then it just got to be too much when you're up one hour feeding the next hour pumping one hour feeding. It got to be too much. And I did eventually switch to formula. Um, again, meanwhile, you're trying to recover from major abdominal surgery. So yes. Yes. So all of that thrown into one, my husband was only able to get a full, um, not even a full week. He was, yeah, about a full week off of work, including the hospital stay. So he was able to stay with me about three or four days at home. But after that, I'm on my own for like doctor's appointments and stuff. And you're trying to literally recover from a major surgery while also having a newborn baby and being postpartum. And yeah, it is, it's, it's rough, but it's doable, mm-hmm. but it was, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way though. No, I definitely don't think that the, the rate I see people having C-sections 
should definitely be a lot lower. And it just, my sister is going in to have her second child. Her first um, was pretty much the exact same situation as mine. She got induced, wasn't progressing, had a C-section. Same as mine. And her doctor just flat out told her, yeah, when she asked about a VBAC, um, he said, yeah, you know, I'd let you try it, but you'll probably just find a way to mess it up. So we're just going to do a repeat C-section. And like, she thought it was hilarious. And I was like, your doctor said that to you. Like that alone should be a red flag. Yeah. So I just think that C-sections are way too popular. And knowing that now, things definitely would have been different. So just having that knowledge. Right. Right. I mean, thank goodness that we live in a time where if you do indeed need a C-section, you can get one. But you should never be forced or told that you're getting a C-section. No. Like your body knows what it's doing. Let it do its job. Um, I can't say that for certain that being induced had to do with me having a C-section. I definitely think that it played a factor in it because I don't think that my body was ready, obviously, to have her. And so forcing that, I just think slowed everything down. And so, again, I will labor outside of the hospital until she's crowning if I have another one. Having more of a voice would make the next go around a whole lot easier knowing like, no, you can tell them that we're not doing this. Like they're not allowed to just do it without your consent. Yeah. You can refuse anything for yourself or your baby. Yeah. You can keep putting them off, say, no, we're going to wait. We're going to wait an hour. Mm -hmm. And, and they have to wait an hour. I mean, if, if it is indeed an emergency, they're not going to ask you anything. They're just going to take you back. Exactly. Or they're not going to stop. Like, yeah. yeah. Talking about it. And I definitely hindsight is 2020, but going back, things definitely would have been different, but that's why I do think it's important for things like this to exist where, when we can hear other people's stories and experiences and realize how much of a voice they do have before going into something like that. Now, uh, just backtracking a little bit, how did you find this provider? How did you decide that that was the OB for you? He just happened to be my OBGYN before I got pregnant. He, when we moved to the city, um, it was just the office in town. And he was the one that when I called and made an appointment, I got paired with. And then as I started seeing him for my normal visits, I got pregnant. And so I just stuck with him. Didn't think to like, look around. Um, I definitely research is important because looking back, like, cause you can go through and see different providers like, Oh, he did so-and-so and just C-sections are very common with him. Yeah. And that alone should have been a red flag to me. Right. But it's not your fault. I mean, so many women have similar stories where they were, you know, pushed in a direction Mm -hmm. that they didn't want to go. And a lot of it starts with uh, researching your OB or even if that's the route you want to go, but it's really important to look at, you know, look at that C-section rate and see, does that, does that align with my values and and what I want for my birth? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, you shouldn't feel afraid to switch providers even later, even later in your pregnancy. Exactly. And I, I should have like, looking back, I should, that is something I should have done. And there, ha- my sister-in-law switched at 38 weeks pregnant because her provider did something that was so far off base from where she wanted. And she switched 
38 weeks pregnant. Like it's totally doable. And yeah. you can, you can say no at any point. It doesn't matter if you've been seeing them for 38 weeks. Like you can, you can say no and change. I know yeah. um, a woman who changed OBs in labor. She's oh my goodness. They're not my OB anymore. And Go her. Yeah. She was helped by the, um, the midwives that we have at our hospital locally and had a, a pretty good experience with them, but, um, you can, you can, you can absolutely say no. And I didn't at, at the point of me having her, I didn't know that no was an option when they're telling you like, your baby's going to die if you don't do this. Like that is so much manipulation (laughs) that just, it hurts my heart to think about past me. Yeah. But there's a healthy, happy baby that came out of that story, which is yeah. all that's important, but it was definitely a learning experience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously your experience and you are important as well, and you don't have to settle for just a happy, healthy baby. Um, that's very true. So yeah. you're yeah, still- I, it, it took me a really long time, like up until about six months ago, I would still cry over like, I felt like I lost something in that experience. Like I never got that skin to skin moment with her or that like, I'm going to hold her for this hour and I'm going to be the one to wrap her up. And I never got that. And so I mourned the loss of that because I, I truly felt like I lost something there, but. Right. That's not an uncommon feeling when birth plays out like that um it's not uncommon but it's not I would say it's not normal that no 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 it shouldn't be a thing but it is a thing yeah absolutely when your provider was talking about or I guess your provider and the staff at the hospital when they were talking about the different interventions that they wanted to do the pitocin and then the cesarean, did they go through risks and benefits or anything like that with you? No, absolutely not. And I even, um, we were doing the cervical softener, which is when my water broke on its own. And I, I literally was like giggling. I was so excited. Like I was progressing and things were going good. And I was so defeated. They told me we were starting the Pitocin and I asked them like, do we have to, like, I feel like my water just broke. Things are going, do we have to do that? And they just brushed it off as, yep, we have to didn't give me any explanation as to why, like what they were going to be doing, what it was going to mean for me. Just, yep, we have to. That feels very dismissive to me. Yes. How you felt. (laughs) Very, very much so. And that's, that's pretty much how I felt the whole time. And another very discouraging thing that was like middle of my labor. So I was trying to do this up until right before the C-section with no epidural anything because that was just what was really important to me and I I remember I was like mid mid excruciating contraction I was not a quiet laborer and like I was not and that's okay like noises were just coming out of my body that I've never heard before and the next check that I got the nurse came and she's like yeah we're just we just refer to you now as like the woman in room 13 like everyone can hear you and I was like Good to know. What? Thank you. Oh, Thank you for that. Really like now I'm going to be self-conscious about the, the noises coming out of me to make sure no one can hear me. No. Oh my gosh. And when I was laboring, I just feel like everything they were doing was so counterproductive to like a successful labor because I would want to labor on my hands and knees 
or like on my birthing ball. And every time I would get going good and get in a good rhythm, they would say they can't get a good read on the baby's heart rate and make me lay back on my side or on my back. That was when things would slow down and she would start dipping again was when I laid back down, like things were going so good when I was up and moving around and like able to do it, what felt right for my body, they would instantly make me get back in the bed. Yeah. Yeah. Because your body knows what it's doing and Mm -hmm. your instincts are correct. And they were just stopping you from following your instincts. It sounds like. Yep. I was so, I thought I was so, I read, I, it's called Ina May's guide to childbirth. Oh yeah. And I, I read that from start to finish before my labor, I was so close to wanting to go labor on the little farm that they have in one of their burning houses, but my insurance wouldn't cover it. But I read that from start to finish. I thought I was ready to go. Like I knew all the different positions to try and like things to do and visions to have. And then every time I feel like I would get myself in a good rhythm, I would be told to lay back down and everything would start back over. So I definitely... Definitely think that if I were able to have done things the way that my body was telling me to do them, it would have been a lot smoother of a labor and delivery. Did you feel like you were safest in the hospital at first? Is that where your train of thought was going? Like, okay, if I'm in a hospital, um, they have all the equipment. If something goes wrong, I'm safe there. Is that kind of how you went into it? Um. Parts of me, yes. Like I, I felt like if anything were to go wrong, the hospital is probably the best place to be. Right. But I also am wary of like medical intervention to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I knew, I knew that I would get some pushback and like some eye rolls about my birth plan, but I felt all in all, like they would respect it. And if anything's to go wrong, I am right here. I don't have to worry about being transported to the hospital or anything like that. Like I'm here. Yeah. Um, but that was about the extent of how safe I felt there going into it. Okay. When you um, had your six week postpartum checkup, did you talk with your doctor about how your birth went? Um, not at the six week. He did come in the following day for like a, a, a check in. And that's when my husband apologized for yelling at him mid surgery because I could feel it. Um, and I told him the only thing I said to him was like, yeah, the C-section was the one thing I told you I wanted to avoid. Yeah, I know. It just didn't work out that way that was his response. So I, I instantly felt shut down from that. So I never brought it back up again. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that your experience was not what you had planned and veered so far from your, your birth plan. That is why education is important. (laughs) Yes. Is there anything else that you wanted to add for our listeners or? No, I think that's it. I just think it's really like this is such a good tool for moms to have. And I just think it's really cool what you guys are doing. I can't wait to listen to all of your guys' podcasts. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. You guys have a good night. Thanks, Thanks you too. Whenever I hear that someone was told your baby could die. Right. And they weren't given the benefits and the risks and alternatives and yeah, from what Emily said, it sounds like a lot of that was premature. Yeah. Those interventions, but. Well, it sounds like her OB might've had a little bit of an agenda and that's just the way he did things. So some of the, some providers just truck along, like, uh, you know, it's, 
they're used to it. They see it every day. They're doing it every day. Mm-hmm. They're not a first time mom sitting there scared. Um, right. Sometimes they can say stuff that will make you feel like you better listen. Um, like, oh, your baby's enormous. Well, they don't have any way to know exactly how large your baby is uh, with an ultrasound. And I mean, they can take a pretty educated guess, but it's not always correct. So that feels like a little bit of a scare tactic. Um, but you know, another way to make a young first time mother feel like she needs to go along with thing or says is to say that your baby's life is in jeopardy. And that makes me really sad that that would be used to pressure somebody into going a direction they don't want to go in. Um, one really useful thing that I learned, I think I actually, if I'm remembering correctly, it was my doula who said this in her birth class that she teaches, but I could be wrong, but I'm thinking that's where it was from. (laughs) Um, but her suggestion for when, if, if a provider comes and says, you know, your baby is going to die, repeat it back to them. My baby is going to die if I don't do this. Yeah. And they may come back and say, well, your baby could die. My baby could die if I don't do this intervention right now. Yeah. Well, we don't have much time. Okay. So we have some time. Right. Oh, that's, that's a really good suggestion. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not saying to them, I don't believe you. You're right. clarifying. Are you really telling me that my baby is going to die if I don't agree right. to a cesarean or an induction or, you know, A, B, or C? Sure. Well, let's talk about, let's say you have a doula in that situation. Um, would your doula, this is, I know the answer, but would your doula be allowed to talk to that provider and stand up directly to the provider? As the doula? Yeah. Um, what I, what I would probably do, um, is I would say, say you were my client. I would say, Lindsay, do you have any questions about what your provider just said? Yeah, I have questions. Great. Uh, what are your questions? I'm first of all, I'm scared. And why are you, why are you, why are you trying to scare me? Like, I feel like you're trying to scare me. But that's, that's a great point, Emily, um, out of character, <laughs> um, that in advocating for someone, a doula or a birth partner can out loud ask a question of um, the person giving birth and ask them, you know, do you have any questions about that? Or remember you saying you didn't want that specifically. Is that still the case? So, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go about it. <sighs> well, that was quite the birth story. <laughs> it doesn't always go the way we want it to go. And right. we wish we could change it. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay. As long as you have time to process it. And it's unfortunate that her provider kind of shut her down when she tried to talk about it. And hopefully hearing stories like this will help others to know that Like Emily said, just know that you can say no. Right. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Emily. I am so glad that you came on our podcast and you shared with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Emily. All right. We will talk to you next time. Thanks Bye. So much, guys. Bye. It's time for us to head out, but thanks for tuning in to another episode of My Doula's Podcast. Have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss? Connect with us on Facebook, on the My Doula GR Community group page, and join in on the conversation. To stay informed and get updates on new episodes, head on over to MyDoulaGR.com. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Be sure to join us next week for the delivery of another episode of My Doula's Podcast.